So, Will. Yes? This is the first Madonna movie I've ever watched. Okay. I've heard mixed reviews of her acting, but in this movie I found her to be quite compelling as the character Madonna. (laughs) You mean all the way May? That's not just the name. That's an attitude. I'm pretty sure she was just playing Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell was playing Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, you're not wrong. So that got me to thinking. With the upcoming album Madam X and her new persona, Madam X... I think it's time to talk Madonna. Okay, before we do that, I need to talk about Madame X, because you keep saying that around me, and in my brain, you're always talking about Adam X the Extreme, the classic 90s X-Men character with blades coming out all over his body, and because he's 90s, he's got kind of a mullet going on, and a baseball hat, and he rides a skateboard, and his power is that he can set people's blood on fire. That's horrifying he's the extreme like not ex x because he's an x-men and it's the 90s i don't know what to say to this this also does not have like a secret howard the duck lead in okay that's also just setting blood on fire is a horrifying power to give to this weirdly comical character he's a hero i'm gonna send you a picture it's worse than blood bending i'm sorry what is blood bending it's from avatar I mean, I assumed there is a witch, question mark, who is a waterbender, but she's able to control people's actions by waterbending their blood, and she forces Katara to learn how to use this evil act. Gross. Yeah, it's one of the creepiest episodes of that show. Okay, I am messaging you a picture of Adam X. You can't see his skateboard, but you can see how extreme he is. Whoa, he's very extreme. Right, he's the extreme. Backwards baseball cap and goatee and all. And blades all over. He's got a belt of blades. He's got blades on his wrist, blades on his shoulder. And he sets your blood on fire. Anyway, back to the more important thing. Will, do you have a favorite Madonna song? So, I probably know a lot of Madonna songs. But it's one of those things where I don't know that I know a lot of Madonna songs. Or like, if you force me to name Madonna songs, I'm going to be much better naming Weird Al parodies of Madonna songs. Because that's what I listened to growing up. So if you want me to sing Like a Surgeon for you, I can do that. You've seen the film Shrek, correct? Indeed I have. Have you seen the sing-along at the end of the quintessential classic shrek are we talking about the wedding sing-along i think it's the one that wasn't on the hbo version we watched yeah the wedding yeah so that i think it's the first song is madonna it's like a virgin oh i'm pretty sure that opens with like a virgin you are right now that i think about it yeah so clearly you do know more madonna i mean in my brain they made it through med school that's Not one of his strongest, I'd say. No, it is not. (laughs) He's done better. I think that Material Girl is still one of my favorites. The classic Madonna song. But of course, now there is Medellin featuring Maluma, which will have been out for a while by the time this comes out. I won't swear that any of those are words. Medellin is a city in Colombia, and Maluma is a Colombian rapper, I believe. Okay. And Madonna is... You know, working with him, with her eye patch thing happening. It's a very weird time in her career. I don't know about any of this, but it sounds pretty extreme. I'm going to send you a picture of Madonna's new look. Does she have blades on her shoulders? No, but it wouldn't be a surprise. Is she riding a skateboard? That one would be a surprise, because that wouldn't get in the way of her dancing. 
So fun fact about Madonna in this movie while you're sending this to me. Penny Marshall had originally cast a different person in the role of All the Way May. But that actor was in a pilot that got picked up to series so they could no longer shoot the movie. And so to quote Penny Marshall, her description was, I had to look for a hot girl who could dance. And so that is how she wound up with Madonna. She's not wrong. Got the job done. Yeah. Madonna was also apparently very cranky during much of the shooting of this movie because she found the town that they were shooting in in Indiana very boring. That also doesn't surprise me. Oh, this is a look. Wait, she does have an X on her eye patch. Yes, she does. Is she She the extreme? She would fit right in with the X-Men in her current phase. Yeah, this, this is quite a look. So we will put both of these up on Twitter and we will ask people to vote for which one is more extreme. It must start with an X. When you think about this poll, if you find yourself thinking about the word extreme with an E, you're not allowed to vote in it. You're doing it wrong. And frankly, you should unsubscribe. (laughs) Please don't do that. We like having listeners. (laughs) Anyway, there you go. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question so old it includes a black and white newsreel. Will Detective Pikachu solve the case? He's gonna solve it! By the time this comes out, we'll know. We will. We will know if he solves the case or not. Tomorrow, we find out. But our question is, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually detectives, or are they just wearing a hat? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot, or a one-scene flirtation, or if they are just wearing hats, because that little hat on Pikachu's head, it's so cute. It's so cute! It's got the clues! Uh, anyway, we'll dig in, we'll see what's there, we'll find out if the romance is believable, it's our mission. Yada yada yada. Anyway, this week, as was inadvertently teased by Fiona last week, we are covering my favorite sports movie of all time from the writers of Fever Pitch and Splash, Penny Marshall's 1992 film A League of Their Own, a fictionalized account of the founding of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. So this movie is a lot better than those. Yeah, it's so much better. This movie was so good. It rules! This This is is the best! Insane how good this movie is. It's truly unbelievable. Every performance is incredible. Tom Hanks has never been more unlikable. Which is good! It throws you for a loop the first time you see it, for sure. Because I was just like, in the first scene, he was kind of unlikable, and I was like, he'll turn around, he'll become likable, right? Just like a little bit. Not really. Not really. He's never really redeemed. He starts becoming a real coach, which is his redemption, but he still does, like, get hammered all the time and is mean to people. So, not a true turnaround in his personality. Yeah, this is probably the most shouty we've ever seen Tom Hanks outside a Toy Story movie. Definitely. And seeing his face with it, it makes it even more disconcerting. Because Tom Hanks doesn't yell. Woody yells. Right, because Woody is very tightly wound. (laughs) He is a stressed out cowboy. Now, in terms of where this fits in Tom Hanks' career, he winds up in this movie because... Things had not been so hot right before this. He had just been in The Burbs and Joe versus the Volcano. Not exactly the apex of Tom Hanks' performances. Whereas this is really the beginning of a killer run he has in the 90s, where 
The next year, he's in Forrest Gump, which is a bad movie, but he wins an Oscar for it. So that's good for his career. Then he does Apollo 13, and then he's in Toy Story, and then three years after that, he's in Saving Private Ryan. Like, this is the start of a real role for him. Isn't Philadelphia in there somewhere, too? Uh, yeah. It's this, then Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump. Is he in Big before this? Yeah, so Big is before this, and that is also directed by Penny Marshall. Right. So they had an established relationship before this. And he asked her to be in this because he was looking to get something going again. That's a good move on his part. It's a very good this move movie on his part. Is amazing. It's so good. So, like I said, A League of Their Own tells a fictionalized account of the real life All American Girls Professional Baseball League, which was founded in 1942 by Philip Wrigley of Wrigley's Chewing Gum. In this movie, it's founded by Walter Harvey of uh, Harvey Boss. Of Harvey Chocolate Bars. The tryouts in real life took place at Wrigley Field. In this movie, they take place at Harvey, Harvey Field. Field. I love Gary Marshall. <laughs> I will do the rest of the episode this way. Please don't. So Wrigley teamed up with Branch Rickey of the Brooklyn Dodgers and Paul Harper of the Cubs to start a girls' league during the war because enough of their players were going off to the war that they wanted to make sure they were still getting maximum use out of their stadiums. Major league play did continue during the war, but a lot of the minor leagues didn't. And so Wrigley, Rickey, and Harper set up this league and worked to spread it as much as possible. By the peak, there were 15 teams scattered around the Midwest, but... It eventually died off in the early 1950s as the rise of television meant that rather than go to see a small local team, people would stay at home to watch a professional regional team on TV. That makes a lot of sense. Did all non-major league sports at that time kind of decline? There's a real drop in the number of smaller leagues that coincides with the rise of television. You used to see a lot of small, regional, semi-professional sports leagues, and they all kind of disappear. So now you have, like, Major League Baseball, the minors, and then not much else. Right. And even with that, we also see the consolidation of what remains with professional leagues, where at the time this movie takes place, the National League and the American League are separate organizations. Today, they're the two main divisions of Major League Baseball. I was surprised to find out how long after the war this lasted. Yeah, it goes until 1954. That's almost 10 years of women's baseball when the men were there too, which I thought is pretty cool. Even though the playing of the baseball, as made clear in this movie, is very rigorously patriarchal. Yes, very much so. They are forced to wear lipstick at all times. They aren't allowed to be seen smoking or drinking. They wear very short skirts, which inhibits play in a lot of ways. And it's worth noting that those uniforms are based on uniforms that women had to wear in league play. And a lot of those actors are out there playing baseball. Like, part of the audition process for this movie was trying out in front of people from the USC baseball coaching staff because they wanted to make sure the actors they hired were at least coachable to the point that they would look good playing baseball in the movie. And people got hurt shooting this. So, like, Renee Coleman, when they show that giant bruise on her leg, that is not makeup. That is a real bruise that lasted for a year. No, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. And, like, actors frequently were, like skinning flesh off their legs while sliding into bases because they're wearing these stupid skirts. Yeah, they don't have pants on, so they don't have the skin coverage. So when they slide, their legs are just getting torn to shreds. And in the movie, the women complain about this because they are all actual baseball players. So they 
wear pants when they play baseball usually as, as one does as the characters i assume the women they chose for the real leagues were also already baseball players i was surprised no one really talked about having to coach the pitchers transit that's probably the biggest change between softball and baseball because we're shown that at least kit and Dottie were playing softball yes so they would have to do a lot of relearning. You they would think so. Yeah, they don't really address the differences between softball and baseball in this. No, and it's worth noting that there were a lot of women's baseball leagues at the time. Whereas today, most of the time, women playing games like this are playing softball. Women's baseball was much more common at the time. Yeah, I don't really understand the point of softball or what it is or what's the difference. or why Well, the ball is bigger. One. It is literally softer. I mean, I figured. I just don't really get, like, the whole history of softball. I also do not know. If you know about the history of softball, hit us up on Twitter at LoveTheLovePod. Genuinely love to hear about it. Hashtag a softball of their own. There we go. <laughs> we haven't hashtagged in a while. We have not hashtagged That's in a while. That's not one of the best. I didn't workshop it, but I needed to come up with something. No, I appreciate it. So... Talking about the people in this movie, we've, of course, got Hanks, the guy who is listed on the poster. The tagline for this movie was, This summer, Tom Hanks and the Rockford Peaches prove that a woman's place is at home. First, second, and third. Tom Hanks is not the star of this movie. Correct. It's my wife, Gina Davis. Gina Davis carries this film on her shoulders. She's incredible in this movie. She is amazing. She is blonde, which threw me for a loop. Her hair is getting close to red in this movie. Yeah. I was surprised, honestly, at how little Tom Hanks did in this movie. I mean, that's kind of the point. The whole movie is about Dottie and her relationship with her sister And a lot of the other baseball players get as much, if not more, time than Tom Hanks. Some of them do. Some. I mean, Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna. We get a lot of Doris and May and Marla. So they were definitely featured. But, like, we certainly see more of Jimmy than we do of Betty Spaghetti. Or Ethel. Yeah. Definitely more than Stillwell. Stillwell Angel. So, yeah, so Gina Davis in this movie, it's worth noting, is coming right off her Oscar the year before for Thelma and Louise, her nomination. So, like, this is kind of the peak of her career in a lot of ways. Is she wearing a corset in this movie? That I do not know. Her waist is unreal. It's unbelievable. That would be pushing it because I can't imagine anyone playing any baseball in a corset. Right. So I assume she's not, but that waist was disgusting. And again, because she is running around playing baseball in this movie. Yeah. It's cool that they all had to learn. Yeah. They didn't do like everything, everything. Like, yeah. I specifically read she didn't do the catch behind her back. She is apparently, or at least at the time, was capable of doing the splits, but couldn't like run into the splits. Yeah, that's something a gymnast would have to do. So that's or what they a drag do. queen. They also are not playing themselves as old people. Yes. Although... Is she voicing it over, though? Yes. Okay, it was very weird. Yeah, so she and Kit, their lines are dubbed over. Yeah, I was very thrown. Like, at the beginning, I didn't notice as much when the framing device opens of this old woman just packing clothing. She does look plausibly like Gina Davis. She does. But after watching the whole movie of Gina Davis's voice, then cutting to this old woman talking like Gina Davis really threw me off. Her body might age, but her voice doesn't. I didn't really get the point of the framing device. I guess it was just for the moment that Kit and Dottie see each other again. Yeah, it's for the resolution of that story. Yeah. And I think also it ties into a lot of the movie is Dottie, 
who does have other stuff in her life. I mean, we're going to talk about Bob a lot in this episode, right. really denying that this experience is meaningful. Where, like, even during the time she's in the league, in the main body of the movie, she's always kind of like, oh, this is just a thing. As soon as Bob comes back, I'm going to bounce. Yeah, like, she always this has nice. one foot out the door. Right. And so I think the framing device helps us see how important it is because she still has that attitude at the very beginning of the movie when her daughter's convincing her to go. And at the end, we do have this moment of her sort of walking through it with the team, seeing Kit, and really getting a sense that this was something really important. Yeah. You also mentioned that the Cooperstown Hall of Fame actually did open an exhibit about this league around the same time, right? In part as a result of it. It certainly has expanded as a result of it. And a lot of the older women in those shots are women who played in the league. That's awesome. So I think it was also a way of showing to the modern audiences that this is still relevant today. So I see the point. And actually, Penny Marshall got the idea to do this movie because... In 1987, she saw a TV documentary of the same name and was kind of astounded that it was a thing she hadn't heard of. And so she got in touch with two women who had made it and looped them in with Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, who wrote the movie, and started working on, okay, how can we turn this into a feature? How can we make this a narrative film to show to a lot of people? And they developed it at Fox for a while. Fox decided to drop it and then moved over to Sony. And it's actually not until then that Penny Marshall is formally attached to direct. Before that, she was just producing and David Anspaugh was going to direct it. Thank goodness she made this movie. Because I think without this movie, no one would know about this baseball league. At least, I mean, like today. Certainly, this is the reason that most people who have heard of it have heard of it. Right. I think this movie is actually going to be instrumental in keeping the legacy of these women alive. And it does it so well and wholesomely. And, like, it is a movie that frames it around women in solidarity. Yeah, this movie is about women and women relating to each other and learning to work together and all of that. And this is a romance podcast, so that's not great for our purposes. No. But the movie is so much better for it. Exactly. And I think choosing to fictionalize it, have characters that they can fully develop without having to base them on any real specific people was a great decision because it was able to make it a really compelling narrative story while showing that this happened like they didn't have to worry about representing each person well or they were able to show the coach in such a terrible light because there was no real person they were basing it on so i don't know i think it made me feel more invested in the story of the movie which then helped me learn in part because you're able to get a sense of why this is important without then like going on wikipedia when it's over and being like oh here's all the stuff they got wrong right this league is important here's why here's why like you said, there was a documentary, so we didn't need that. And they were also to capture the emotions of Betty Spaghetti's husband dying and then Bob returning without having to, like, force that in on people that it might not have happened to. They could choose to do it where it fit narratively rather than realistically. And I think part of that is probably the influence of the women who played in this league, many of whom were involved in the process, seeing scripts, seeing early cuts, and giving feedback. There was actually a point, this would have been a terrible idea, where the studio pushed for a scene where, like, Jimmy and Dottie kiss, which would be dreadful. No. N no. And the players, like, rebelled 
against that because they're saying this is bad and also like she's a woman during the war whose husband is fighting in italy and she's not gonna do this right this is something that just wouldn't happen i mean i assume it did happen but it would be a bad choice for a movie because like the point of world war ii films is like everyone banded together and all the women stood by their men and i think this movie in particular does that really well where the lesser movie would lean hard on like, come on girls, it's your patriotic duty to serve the country by keeping the national pastime alive. But instead it's more about finding a place and taking ownership over their lives and the women talking about how excited they are to be able to do this. And we also do see their resistance at the idea that the league would end just because the guys are going to come back from war. When David Strathairn playing Arthur Lowenstein says like, well, Roosevelt says the war is going to be ending soon, so the league might get shut down. And all the way May is just like, absolutely not. I'm not going back to like, you know, dancing up with random men for money. Right. She is very much into the team. And most of them are. It's only Dottie that's really not. So it's cool to see everyone's like, I'm not going back to my own life. This is great. I love sports. Sports are great. This movie made me really care about sports in a way I haven't. Well, I think it's a really good sports movie. Because like all the best sports movies or all the best action movies or whatever, it's grounded in the relationship between characters. Yeah, and it's really refreshing to see a movie that is about sports, but is also about strong women's relationships and not just romance. Especially when in most sports movies, the female role is frustrated wife or girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. Woman watching on TV sometimes for Nervously. some Nervously. I think the ultimate example of that is the Elizabeth Banks character in Invincible, the movie about the guy who walked onto the Eagles, where, like, her entire job is to just be nervous about him going and playing with the big boys. God, sports movies are terrible. Many of them are quite bad. Except this one is perfect. Yeah, it's great. And I think this stands out in that, regrettably, we live in a world where many movies with large or female-oriented casts are derided as just being for girls and they're stupid. And this is a movie that isn't. And I don't think it's just because it's a sports movie. I think it's because the characters and their relationships are so well drawn. And that's a testament to Penny Marshall. Yeah, it's just a really good movie. And it was also really successful, which is great. Uh, It opened July 1st, 1992 in second place. But it was second place by less than $100,000 behind week three of tim burton's batman returns which imagine seeing both of these in theaters in a week i would die you've got penguins carrying danny devito to a watery grave i only watched like a grand total i think of 30 to 45 minutes of that movie and thank god that part was in it that movie is chaos that movie was amazing yeah it pretty much rules and the movie was a huge hit though a league of their own in 1992 makes 103 million dollars wow that's awesome that's huge that's a big hit it's really great i'm very pleased this movie is the hit that it is should we start talking about the romance before we do i have one fun fact oh no you know i love weird spinoff material yes This movie is released in 1992. Okay. In the spring of 1993, less than one year later, the Columbia Broadcasting System aired a sequel TV series in which the following things happen. They made six episodes in total. Only five of them ever aired. Three of them aired in April. The other two got buried in August. The sixth one has never been seen. 
I must watch it. I'm just going to read you the episode titles and descriptions. Okay. A League of Their Own, the TV series, which obviously recast Jimmy Dugan, obviously recast Dottie, who is in the series. Interesting choice. Megan Cavanaugh and Tracy Reiner did return as Marla Hooch and Betty Spaghetti. But these are the episode titles. So episode one, directed by Penny Marshall, Dottie's back. Dottie comes back to her team after her husband is called back into service. I mean, what a bummer to start this series off with. Yeah, that's not too happy. No, it's not. Don't worry. Episode two, the fat boys of summer. The girls challenge Jimmy's old teammates to a match. What? Episode 3, The Monkey's Curse. No. Tell me what you think it's about. Does someone find a monkey's paw? Nope. The team gets a chimpanzee as a new mascot. Oh, God. You know, like the peaches. For the Rockford peaches. Exactly, right. Uh, Episode 4, Drinking Problems. Jimmy and Dottie go on a date together. Boo. After Jimmy is dumped and Dottie's husband forgets their anniversary. I thought he was back at war. Episode 5, Marathon. The team gets entered into a dance marathon. (laughs) Episode 6, Shortstop. Never aired. Jimmy hires a new shortstop based on her looks. There is now another League of Their Own series in development at Amazon, where all things are in development. That sounds horrifying. Also, you didn't need to bring Dot back. You could have just made a series focused on Kit, who is also an interesting character. Or just put another player in there. It doesn't matter. I know, that's so dumb. I hate everything. But the chimpanzee mascot. Now that we're on to something. I mostly hate the Columbia Broadcasting System. (laughs) Fair. Anyway... Every week, we break down the romance within a movie into five points to discuss, analyze, figure out the answers to the questions talked about above. But this movie, unsurprisingly sparse on the romance, with the main character's husband being at war. Yeah, so really, the only way we're going to dig five points out of this movie is if we stretch our romance across two different relationships. Dottie and Bob Henson, that's Gina Davis's husband, played by Bill Pullman, and Marla Hooch and her eventual husband, Nelson. So, Bob is criminally underused because they cast Bill Pullman. He gets an and in the credits. I know, he's in it for like 30 seconds. Yeah, although he's very enthusiastic when he's in it. We'll talk about that. Yeah, if they had cast anyone else, I would have been like, less Bob, kill him off. But in this, I was just like, I could use more Bill Pullman in my life. This, of course, this is pre-While You Were Sleeping, Bill Pullman, pre-Independence Day. Bill Pullman's still on the rise. He's pretty fresh-faced, very cute. As always. As always. Love Bill Pullman. He's no Gina Davis, my wife, but no, he is, it is pretty great. All right, so, point number one. Listen, mister, I'm a married woman. My husband's overseas. Oh, relax. I'm talking looky-no-touchy. Dottie works on a dairy farm. Her sister Kit also works there. Her husband is off at war. He's fighting in Italy. And Ernie Cappadino, played by John Lovitz, shows up at one of their games and he wants to recruit them to join the baseball league. Yeah, we find out about the formation of this league mostly through fake newsreels. Well, yeah, we gotta see Walter Harvey. (laughs) So he's going around watching local women's baseball teams trying to recruit people to come. I keep wanting to say audition. I'm broken. Try out. Try out at Wrigley Field. So in this game, Dottie does well. Kit does subpar. And Cappadino wants Dottie to come and try out. And she doesn't really want to. She's like, ah, you know, 
I've got a life here. I'm married to Bob. Bob is great. Bob is such a perfect name for this character. A hundred percent. Because, like, Dottie has a certain, like, you know, all-American working on the farm quality. Whereas Bob is just, like, she's married to the most stable, sturdy, but unexciting dude that we could imagine. There are times where Bob has almost a good dough feeling because of how often she talks about him and how effusive her praise is. I mean, you do start to worry, like... He seems too great. Like, that War Department telegram is coming. Yeah, the War Department telegram, or he's going to show up and, like, beat her or something. That would be horrifying. I know, but they build him up so much. I was like, there must be a twist coming. And then it's like, no, it's just a great guy. Yeah, that's not this movie. This movie is, no, he's just a great guy. Yeah, but she puts so much work into explaining how great of a guy he is. So, because of that, Dottie's like, no, I don't want to go to Chicago and play baseball. This is just, like, something I do for fun. I'm going to work on the dairy. But the only way Kit can go try out is if Dottie goes along. And so Dottie agrees to go. And while they're on their way, they stop off in Fort Collins, Colorado, to recruit Marla Hooch. The best character. She's so great. I love her. Marla's awesome, but she's very shy. As her dad says, she may not be as pretty as those other girls, but she's great. She's really good at baseball. People talk about her as being uglier than she is, as often happens in movies. Yes. They act like she is horrifying to look at. The actress, Megan Cavanaugh, does really good stuff where she sort of orients her face down and her eyes up, which makes her look a little funky. Yeah, she does have big eyes and they really play into that. Which works well. For sure. So that's point number one. They're all going to Chicago. Point number two. I sing it to Guess what? They're on a baseball team. Did you think they were going to send them back and not play baseball? You were wrong. You know, my biggest question about Dottie is, even if she didn't want to play, she was getting a free train ride to Chicago. Like, even if I had no intention, I would have taken him up on the offer to go to Chicago for a few days, all expenses paid, and then, you know, be like, oh, sorry, throw the tryouts, not the auditions, and... (laughs) You know, head back home to her dairy if she really didn't care. I think Dottie's more of a homebody than you, which is saying something. (laughs) Yeah. I am a homebody that likes to travel, so I either like to be at my home or somewhere far away. Yeah. But they get... Now you've got it in my head. I was going to say cast. They get picked for the team. (laughs) The cast lists go up. They're on the Rockford Peaches, which was a real team. It was the winningest team in the history of the league. And that's great. They're having a good time. They're playing some games. Now, they aren't allowed to have too much fun. There's no drinking and no smoking and no men. David Strathairn is very clear about that. Yeah, when he says that, Madonna's character all the way May stands up to leave until Doris pulls her back down. It's great. And that kind of stuff was really part of the rules of the league. The women really did have to attend charm school in the evenings after afternoon practice. And have a chaperone to maintain decorum. Right. In this movie, we have Miss Cuthbert. And one night, the girls poison Miss Cuthbert. May specifically poisons Miss Cuthbert. In case you were wondering, it is May. (laughs) So they sneak out to go to a dance hall, the Suds Bucket. Basically, you get a mid-movie swing dance break where Madonna is thrown around like a baseball. It's great. And Dottie doesn't go because she's like, look, I'm a married woman. I don't need to go partying out with all you kids. Dottie acts like she's a lot older than everyone, but I think it's just the fact that she's married has made her decide she is older. She feels like she needs to act a certain way. Yeah, so she is... to be fair, she doesn't seem like super repressed. She's very happy acting that way. Yes, it's not like she's 
wanting to go but feels guilty about being married. She's just like, you guys are clearly going to flirt with boys. I don't need to flirt with boys because I'm married, so I will stay here. This is a movie that lets its characters be different kinds of people, and it's okay that they're different kinds of people. Yeah, there's no conflict in wanting to choose a different life. There's not judgment on May for loving, drinking, and smoking, and boys. There's not judgment on Dottie for staying in. They all get to do their thing. Right. So Dottie eventually does come down because Lowenstein, David Strathairn, is going to be coming into the place where they're staying, and the players need to be there or they'll get fired. Yeah, so basically the whole team would get fired or cut if he showed up and they were all at the dance hall. So Dottie comes in to rescue them. She's getting everyone out the back door, but the one person who's having a hard time getting out is our girl Marla Hooch. There's been a boy making eyes at her the whole night. And by the time Nelson. Dottie shows up, Marla is hammered on stage singing at Nelson. Unbroken eye contact. It's, it's amazing. Unbelievably funny. Someone did her hair. She's wearing a nice red dress. So Dottie is looking around. It's like, where's Marla? Where's Marla? And she couldn't find her until someone points to the stage where she is. Some of the most intense eye contact I've ever seen. And as she says, I can't go. I'm singing to Nelson. Ain't I, baby? It's she so sure is. good. It's excellent. And Nelson offers to take her home. At which point, Dottie's like, whatever. Yep. <laughs> point three. You know, I really thought you were a ball player. Well, you were wrong. Was I? Yeah. It is only a game, Jimmy. It's only a game. And, and I don't need this. I have Bob. I don't need this. I don't. We did it. All right. Guess what? Marla gets married. We know she and Nelson wrote letters to each other through much of this season. That's really sweet. We see Marla be excited to get letters from him. Yeah. And then they get married. Yep. Very 1942. Yep. And Marla, as she's going, says, I'll be back next season. Marla's hyped. She loves her baseball life. Some people tied cleats to the back of their wedding car. All of the team members are bridesmaids and create a tunnel of bats for the married couple to walk under. It's very cute. It's in one of this movie's many excellent montages. After this... Uh, Guess what? Bob comes back. Bob's back. We'd heard about Bob being away at the war. Dottie had been really worried about him. We'd seen her talk to Tom Hanks, Jimmy Dugan, about how great Bob is. There was a scene where a War Department telegram arrives delivered by the worst delivery man ever the dumbest person of all time who's like oh man i hate giving out these ones let me just check my list yeah somebody's husband is dead but boy oh boy i am illiterate and i cannot figure out who this is i have to go back and check and then i will come back so just hold tight maybe play your little ball game yeah while you wonder whose husband is dead it's a mystery come back after this break and there's only two options it's either bob or betty spaghetti's husband and they're sitting next to each other the women not the husbands yeah so it's very emotional jimmy just takes the telegram out of the guy's hands and reads it and walks over and we're like who's it gonna be but it's betty spaghetti's and it's very sad and i was very emotional in the moment. It's really upsetting. And so everyone is upset by that. But before we know it, Dottie's in her room. She's packing her stuff because she's recently told David Strathairn that if he can't sort something out where she doesn't have to play with Kit anymore, she's going to go home. And she's packing her bags. And the door opens. And somebody with a limp walks in. And it's Bill Pullman. Bob got injured in the war, so he was discharged early. So he was able to come home and surprise Dottie. And Dottie's really happy. They just hug a lot. 
It's real cute. Yeah. And the next morning, Dottie's decided she's leaving. She always said when Bob got out of the service, she would go home, and that's exactly what she plans to do. Jimmy then tells her that this will be her biggest regret, because baseball is in her bones. Her bones are made of bats. Her joints are baseballs. Everything is about baseball. Gatorade runs through her veins. (laughs) Gatorade hasn't been invented yet. Who cares? But he's really insistent, like, this is a big deal. The biggest thing I regret is that I wasn't able to play as much baseball as I could because of my drinking, which led to my injuries. This is where he gives the, the hard is what makes it great speech. Yeah. The, if baseball was easy, everyone would play it. It has to be hard, and that's why we love it moment. And Dottie is like, nah. That's not me. Bob's back, gets in the car, and- And Bob is like, everything okay? And she's like, sure, don't worry about it. Yeah, she does not explain herself at all to Bob. Because it doesn't seem that Bob would be upset if she decided to stay. Based off of later movie. enthused. Yeah, again, I was worried it would be like Bob would be against her staying and playing. No, it really seems like Bob would be happy for her to continue following her passion. Speaking of, let's go to point four. Yeah. Look, I'm going back to the hotel, and then Bob and I are driving back to Oregon. Welcome to come with us. No. You two should be alone. I'd just be in the way. The Peaches are in the World Series. By Game 7, it's tied. Three games to three. They're up against the Racine Bells, which are the team that Dottie's sister Kit got treated to. Yeah, so it's big moment. Kit is pitching for the other team. They're doing well. The Peaches get dominated without Dottie, their best player, in the first couple games. This has been sort of the core relationship of the movie, is Dottie and Kit. That's why there's not a lot of romance for us to deal with. It's about these two sisters where Dottie is a really awesome baseball player and is Gina Davis. So she's beautiful and great. And then Kit, played by Lori Petty, always feels like she is less beloved, less skilled, less appreciated for her efforts, for her talents. She talks early on in the movie about when their parents introduce them to people, they'll be like, this is our daughter, Dottie. And this is our other daughter, Dottie's sister, which is apparently based on a real story. The writers, Mandel and Gans, one of them one time was visiting their parents who lived in the same building as Neil Simon's mom. And one time, Neil Simon's mom, her other son was there and introduced him as, oh, this is Neil Simon's brother. That's horrifying. Yeah. So Kit always has this kind of complex where she doesn't feel as appreciated. And when she has a bad game, she blows up at Dottie and Dottie's like, I'm not doing this anymore. We can't play together. And she intends to be quitting, but instead David Strathairn trades her to the Bells. Right. So Dottie makes the decision, because she is essentially the coach, to pull Kit from the field because she's not pitching well. And Kit's like, I would have been fine. You're just doing this because you hate me. And definitely has a blow up that is out of proportion and shows deep emotional issues that need to be resolved. Right. It's, for Kit, another of a thousand cuts. Right. But Dottie made the right move. So Dottie then is expected to be the one traded, but it's Kit that gets moved. And again, she's upset about that. Right. So the stakes in this series are now Kit and the Bells against her old team, the Peaches. And Jimmy is making sure the team is ready to play game seven. And he sees Evelyn, their current pitcher, practicing her throws. And look who's catching now. It's Dottie. She's come back. Jimmy attempts to do the dumb, like, no, well, no, it said you could play. Dottie's just like, I did. (laughs) And then Dottie's like, well, I can leave if you want. (laughs) Yeah. Totally calls his bluff. And they play the game. Dottie does a great job. They keep cutting to Bob in the stands, just being like, that's my wife. She's the best. She's better than all of your wives. 
I have the best wife. And I'm like, Bill Pullman, you are right. Yes. So in the end, though, which surprised me because I already knew that the Rockford Peaches were the best team before the movie, they lose. Or do they? Yeah, there's a chance that Dottie throws the game for her sister. It's unclear in the movie, I'd say. On purpose. On purpose. So we don't It's up to us to decide whether Dottie loses the game for the team by dropping the catch, or if she chooses to drop it to give Kit the win. Right. Either way, Dottie decides to not come back for the next seasons. Yep. She's done. She's going to go back to Oregon. She and Bob want to have kids. Right. And they do. Which takes us to point number five. The future. 1992. We're all So in the opening of the movie, it is Dottie talking to her daughter about like, oh, I don't want to go. I wasn't that involved. And eventually she decides to go. So then at the end of the movie, we see they're at Cooperstown. They play a game. They go to the opening of a new exhibit. They're wandering through it. And you can see how emotionally impactful this is for Dottie. There's a sign of Jimmy Dugan that makes her very upset. She catches up. He's dead. Right. She catches up with the other players. We learned that Bob died the previous winter, and Marla tells us that she and Nelson have been married for over 40 years. No. It all started at the Suds Bucket. Oh, which I swore they said Scuzz Bucket the first <laughs> that's, time. That's disgusting. I know. <laughs> but if you're ever looking like Marla to meet yourself a nice man, you can always scuzz it up. Christ. Hashtag scuzz it up. Anyway... So after watching this wonderful film, would you find the romances between Dottie and Bob and Marla and Nelson to be believable? You mean two attractive, happy people that seem to get along really well, falling in love and having a successful marriage? And are so supportive? Yeah. And then... uh, Two weirdos? Two weirdos (laughs) who also... Are supportive of each other's dreams, because if Nelson lets Marla continue to play baseball, clearly he's fine with it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love him so much. I love him too. I would say that Dottie and Bob is more believable than Marla But we see a lot more of them. Dottie's our lead. Yeah, but I just mean it's also like, Marla got drunk at a bar, flirted with a man, wrote letters to him, and then had a successful marriage. This is the 40s. I know. This is how that works. It's really weird. Uh, I'm saying 10 out of 10, completely believable. I have no objections. Sure, I'll give you that. Yes! Do you think all of these or any of these people are dateable? Well, the answer is all of them. Obviously, I'm married to Gina Davis in this movie. Um, She is my wife. I would settle for Bill Pullman if I had to. I mean, he's great. Settling for Bill Pullman, that's your pathway to the presidency. Huh? He's going to celebrate our Independence Day. Oh, God. Are those our answers on who we would date? I guess. I mean, probably. Also, any of them. Any of them. They're all I'm really great. trying to think of one that would be like a funny thing, but it's like, I mean, don't great. Don't date Jimmy Dugan. No, don't date Jimmy. Don't Gary date Marshall. I would. I would date Gary Marshall. <laughs> He's rich. He seems real fun. I would not date Miss Cuthbert. She seems not fun. No. But pretty much everyone else. Yeah. I always love David Strathairn. He's always just such a solid presence yeah and he's also pro letting women keep their jobs in the factories instead of sending them back to the kitchen yeah that's really cool it's nice to see that progressivism like the progressivism when this movie reminds us that racism is bad (laughs) that scene is the worst bit in the movie real bad 
there's a point where they're are they playing a game or is it just a practice i think it's just a practice and they're throwing the balls around and somebody misses a catch and this black woman catches it and we see that there's this like cluster of black people like by the fence and this black woman throws it back and Dottie catches it and then looks at it like wow that was a crazy throw and then the black woman just nods at her like mm-hmm and Dottie nods back like mm-hmm it's like wow segregation of this league is a bad thing and that's the only time it ever comes up yeah it was not a good choice <laughs> it would probably have been better just to not address it. any of that yeah all right I want to add a new question to our rotation. Okay. Because this comes up so often in our show, I think we just need to bring it out in the open. Okay. Should this movie be made into a musical? No. Why not? Because you would lose the effectiveness of the baseball scenes. Guess what? It's happening. Oh, God. In 2015, they announced that Jason Robert Brown, a very good composer of musicals, is making a league of their own. Some of the best scenes of this movie are them doing baseball good. And that's hard to do on a stage, because you need a lot of space for that. We're going to find out. I guess it's all going to be, like, screens and stuff. And, like, dance, baseball. Yeah. Could work. I mean, just like in High School Musical 2, an upcoming film. Is there baseball in High School Musical 2? Yeah. I do not remember that. Yeah, it's like um, Corbin Blue and the illiterate one sing a song about baseball. Fascinating. I have no recollection of this, because those are basketball movies. The second one isn't really a basketball movie, though, because it's summer, so no one's playing basketball, so they play baseball instead. All right, well, we will- Because it's a summertime sport. Right, it's our vacation. We will find out in a couple of weeks, as soon as I get out of school. All right, I think that does it. Great movie, everyone watch. It's a masterpiece. It's perfect. Next week, we'll be joined by longtime listener Catherine Key to talk about one of the all-time great May blockbusters. So we're writing the season for it. If you've seen the schedule, you know what this movie is. It is one of the most famous movies of all time. It's incredible. We watched it on the big screen, and it was unbelievably cool. We're talking Empire. Next week, we'll be watching Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. I'm super excited for it. In case you guys couldn't tell, Will is... A little bit into Star Wars. What? I mean, in general, I love big blockbusters. And I love it when they work. And there aren't a lot of them that work better than this. He really likes when they fight wars, but in the stars. I mean, those are my two things. Wars and stars. Wars and stars. That's why we do this podcast about romance movies. Yep. All right. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. That really helps other people to find the show. Will, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Well, I think, honestly, the best one is just sing very intensely and stare determinedly at a person that you want to get with and you can be married for decades that's a good one my advice is be gina davis i mean it worked for us and if you can't do that do better (laughs) all right there you go until next time i'm a ginger and i'm gay so between the two of us we know everything there is to know about romance bye-bye bye